Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We have been camped out on the topic of faith lately. And um, what I've been thinking about is that it's hard for us to have faith in someone that we may not be that much aware of who they are, what their nature is like, what their personality is like. So what I want to do today is we prepare our hearts to take communion together, and we will as a family. I want to stir us up in the area of who is this God that we claim we believe in? What is his nature? What is he about? How should we expect him to respond to us? What, how does he relate to us? How should we relate to him? Now Hebrews chapter 11 is, is called the faith chapter. And so in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, um, it's written for us, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For you who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We've been spending a lot of time, and, uh, two weeks ago and three and four weeks before that, we're spending a lot of time on talking about this facet of operating in faith, living in faith, that God rewards those who diligently seek him. And, and if you haven't been here, please go to the website, go to the media page, and go listen to those messages. Today we want to talk about believing in who he is. Romans chapter 10 picks up on the, on the same thought in verse 14. Paul writes, how shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him who they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, how can we expect people to have faith in a God? How can we expect even some of us who have been in church maybe to have faith in God? Because here's what ends up happening sometimes. Uh, some of us, we, we, we come, God draws us, draws our hearts, the Holy Spirit draws us. We receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We become what the Bible calls being born again. And so we have faith for salvation. And many times that's where we stop. But see, the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible also reveals to us the other facets of God's nature to us, the other things, in other words, that we can depend on him to be for us. But you see, if we're not knowledgeable of those things, if we haven't studied those things, then we could just have faith, we're going to heaven. And how many of you are glad you're going to heaven? Okay, so, so we have faith to go to heaven, but we're still living here on this earth, and so we need to have faith to live here in the meantime. Amen? Amen. Now, <clears throat> what Paul's saying, how's somebody going to believe in someone that they don't, much, they don't know much about? And so today, I want to go in that direction. I want to share this with you this morning, kind of give you maybe a glimpse into my, my background, my childhood a little bit. Yeah, I grew up uh, in a very devout Roman Catholic family, went to Catholic school. From, the, from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade, well, seventh grade. Um, and and then the school that I went to had the church attached directly to it. And I don't know if many of you might have been in the same position I was in, you know, in a city atmosphere, an inner city atmosphere, going to Catholic school, going to Catholic church. What they would do is they would block off the street in front of the school and, and they would play sports and things of this nature. And yeah, it's just the way I am. I'm, you know, my children are different. They're very sports oriented. I was never been sports oriented. My wife was, so I guess I got it from her. Um, I've never been one into competitive sports. I don't really know much difference between a touchdown and a home run. Uh, you talk to my kids, you know, people, some of you sometimes will tell me, you know, different things going on teams. I'm like, so I've never been that type of person. So, so what would happen during these times? 
when my classmates would be out there kicking a ball or something like that, I would just feel drawn to go over to the church. And I would just, I would go in there, and, I, and I'm just trying to present myself as just this holy person. I, it just, I just was following my heart. And I would just feel drawn to go in there. And I, there might be a couple old ladies praying the rosary on the side here, but for the most part, there wasn't many people. There weren't hardly anybody in there. And, and I would sit there in the pew, and, and it was dark, and you, know, you had the candles and, and the light coming in through the stained glass windows. And, and I would look at these statues. I would see Jesus on the cross, and, and then I would see the statue of Jesus, the sacred heart, you know, pretty much in his you know, risen glory. And, 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 I would, and then I would literally have conversations. And I'm, I'm sure if somebody would have walked in, if the priest would have walked in, I said, this kid's, you know, the elevator doesn't go away to the top here. Uh, and so I would sit there, and I would have these conversations, and I would say, are you real? Is this, is this real? And, and if you are real, how does that affect me? Who am I? If you are who you are, who am I? And, and how does, you know, what does this mean? Thank God that in later years, he answered those questions. Now, while Barbara and I were on vacation these past two weeks, I felt drawn, felt like a tug in my heart. Go read again Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is probably one of the most popular psalms that exists. We've been hearing it since we're kids. You go to a funeral, the first psalm that they read is Psalm 23. And so, so many times when you're very familiar with the scripture, you kind of miss the depth of it. And so I want to share with you this morning some of the insights that I received because I think they're going to help you. I know it's been successful in last night's service, this morning's service, and I pray that it's going to have the same effect on you. You see, I believe David had that same experience that I had when he was out in the fields. He had nothing to do but sit there and take care of the sheep. And so I believe that he would ask those questions, are you real? And if you're real, what does that mean to me? And what part do I play in this whole, this whole thing? And so let's go to Psalm 23. Verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, now shepherd, when you and I hear shepherd in, in our culture, here in the United States, in the Western mindset, this is what it means to us. But to the Middle Eastern thought, a shepherd represented one who would lay his life down for the sheep. It speaks of loyalty. The shepherd is a person who's self-sacrificing, compassionate, a provider. A shepherd hardly slept. They spent all their times out in the field. They were devoted to their flock. It's amazing. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 11, as it describes our Father in heaven. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, close to his heart, and gently lead those who are with young. Can I share my paraphrase of verse 1 of Psalm 23? He is my shepherd, and he knows my wants. He supplies my every need, but he knows the deep desires. He knows the void. He knows the wounds. He knows all those things. When I think about that, 
I can't help but be brought back to an incident that was in King David's life. Some of you may be familiar with the story. Because, you know, people always remember the scandals in somebody's life more than they remember the good things that a person did. So David gets involved in a scandal. He is in his palace in Jerusalem. He's up one night. He can't sleep. He takes a peek out the window and he sees his next door neighbor's wife in the jacuzzi. <laughs> and obviously this did something to him. And in a very short period of time we have an affair develop. This woman becomes pregnant. David has to eliminate her husband and orders for him to be put out on the front lines of the battlefield and that when the enemy comes, the armies to withdraw and this man named Uriah is murdered. Of course, just like you and I, when we do something that we shouldn't do and get involved in something we shouldn't do, we think we get away with it. But God sees. And God in his mercy sometimes confronts us in the situations that we get involved in that are not good. And so God speaks to a prophet, a man named Nathan, and tells him to go and confront David. And Nathan goes, and Nathan makes up this story about a man who, who had plenty of his own sheep, but went and took his neighbor's only lamb that that neighbor had, took it away from him. And David is riled up, and you could just picture him on his throne, and you could see him get up and go to Nathan. Who is this man? Tell me who it is, because I'll deal with him. And Nathan says, you're that man. And obviously, David is cut to the heart. You can read what he wrote in Psalm 51. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it tells us the conversation that went on between Nathan and David. Nathan says to him, you are that man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now God is speaking through this prophet to the king. I anointed you, gave you made you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And if you're not familiar with that story, Saul was the king before David, and Saul hated David, and Saul chased David to try to eliminate him. And every time, God protected David. I gave you your master's house, talking about Saul. The kingdom went from Saul to David. I gave you your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. In other words, I set you up over all of this. And then look at this phrase here. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Now, now I, I want to backtrack here for a little bit. I want us to understand why I'm bringing this incident into this part of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, you see, if you read that incident that I just talked about at surface value, just on the surface, without realizing what went on in David's life, it almost sounds like God said, if you would have, you know, if this was enough, I would have gave you that woman. That's not what God's saying. God is saying this to David. I know the secret desires that you've had. I know the areas in your heart when you've been disappointed. I know the voids that are there. I know the things that you feel like you're lacking. Have you ever lived under the torment of a perceived lack? You think you don't have something that you honestly do possess already. Now, watch this now. I want you to understand this. Trust me, I am not endorsing 
adultery or murder. I am not excusing David's conduct. However, you've got to understand something about David. David didn't wake up one morning and decide, tonight I'm going to become an adulterer. And that's going to lead me to murder. David's first wife, which was King Saul's daughter, treated him horribly. The man was wounded. She ridiculed him publicly. Here's a guy who's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into, the, the, into Jerusalem. He's so overwhelmed with gratitude to God, he literally strips down to his underwear and is dancing uninhibited throughout the streets of Jerusalem, worshiping God, and she looks from her window and she mocks him and ridicules him and then tells him to his face that you acted just like one of these common degenerates in the street. That wounded his heart. He's had problem after problem after problem, even within his own household. When he was a young man, his brothers mocked and ridiculed him as he went to the battlefield to face Goliath. God knows the wounds that are in his heart. God knows the perceived lack. God knows what's driven him now. I'm not endorsing adultery. I'm not excusing it. But God said to him, if everything you thought you had wasn't enough, if you would have come to me, I would have fixed your heart. W Pastor, what are you bringing stuff for? Because there's some of us in this room right now that are getting set up. You have wounds. You have hurts. There's things that happened in the past that just have caused something to just break your heart. But if you don't bring it to your shepherd, you're gonna do what David did. David didn't have to end up in sin. God says, if you would've came, David, I would've taken that heart. I would've healed your heart. I would've filled that void. I would've turned your attention towards something that was gonna be a blessing and not a curse. He is our shepherd. He knows our wants. There's some of us that if we're not careful, we're gonna develop ungodly desires. We're gonna develop unnatural affections. And they're gonna to lead to sin. Your shepherd wants to do everything possible so that it does not happen. Bring to him those unfulfilled dreams. Bring to him those hurts and wounds that seem like they're the thing that are shaping the decisions you make, where your attention is turning, where your affections are being directed. Bring them to your shepherd. Then you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. I'm fulfilled. My heart is fulfilled. Are you hearing me today? He cares for us. Verse two says he makes me. Would you say that please? He makes me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep like to wander. They're all over the place. They never stay in one place. They're like, every one of them has ADD. They just can't, they can't concentrate. And so they're all over the place. And so they need the shepherd to make them to lie down. They're nervous they do, that a sheep, a lamb, will not drink from a stream. They get nervous when they hear running water. They need to be led to still waters. Does that sound like some of us? Yes. 
Many of us do not automatically drift towards still waters. I even found that myself in the natural. I was just saying this in the last service. Uh, we go on vacation. Don't take me to a lake. I want the ocean. I want waves. I want to feel the breeze. I want to feel the salt. I want, I, want, I want to see the action of the waves. I never realized it was like that until recently. Sit me by a lake. Are we done? So he has to make us to lie down. I can't give you a better illustration of my life. When we went to Bible school, at this point 22 years ago, my experience previous to that, and some of you that knew me back then in those days, in the church that we were in then, I was busy. I served in every capacity. The only place I did not serve was in the nursery because with four kids I changed enough diapers. But I served in every other capacity. Now, now I get to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I get to Bible school, and I'm not allowed to serve anywhere. Every time I made an attempt to get involved in this department, my application, no, no, we don't need you right now. And what about, well, no, we don't need you here. When, literally, he made me to lie down. Because I needed that, those two years to absorb everything that I needed for this to happen here at MBCC. Had I continued in the busyness, it would have just been like, and I would have came back unchanged. I needed that time because I needed to have a transfusion to get within me what, I, what we would need to do what God has called us to do. Sometimes God has to give us a forced period of inactivity. Let me just tell you what happens sometimes with the natural shepherds. A natural shepherd, as it says in verse three of Psalm 23, he restores my soul. He leads me in righteousness for his namesake. What a shepherd would have to do, and I'm talking about natural shepherd. Sometimes you have to get a sheep, a lamb, tie their legs, knock them down, tie their legs, so that he could restore them. And there's a certain type of insect that are attracted to sheep and they go, and I hate to sound gross, they go for the nostrils. And once those insects embed themselves in the nostril, if it's not dealt with at that level, it begins to burrow in the tissue of the, the skull and eventually affects the brain of that sheep and drives them insane. And what they'll do literally is they'll run and bang their head into a tree or, or a fence post or something and damage themselves. And it sounds like some of the times that we go through in our lives when we've exposed ourselves to things that we shouldn't have, got involved with people we shouldn't have, got involved in activity that we shouldn't have, and if we don't deal with it then, it embeds itself and starts driving us. And so the shepherd who loves us, in order to restore us. Sometimes he's gotta get us to the place of inactivity where we're just like, time out. No busyness. Busy, not business, busyness. Now I don't know about you, but I've, I'm gonna be, listen, you can know the Bible in and out, but if you don't know you, I need to watch myself in this area because I'm very much, it's very automatic for me to drift towards busyness. What's the next thing we're going to do? What's the next project? What's the next, what's the next event? What's it? Can I tell you a little secret? I know there are many of you that do the same thing. And you know why we do this? 
We do it because behind that busyness, we are hiding. We don't want people to see our insecurities. We don't want people to see the fact that we feel inadequate. We don't want people to see the fact that maybe there's some fears on the inside. And so as long as I'm busy, as long as I'm, and I walk up to many of you in the lobby, and I'm like, how you doing? Oh, Pastor, I'm just so busy right now. <laughs> don't, don't laugh because you're going to give yourself away. <laughs> and many times, many times you come up to me, how you doing? Oh, man, it's just crazy. It's so busy right now. What are we doing? You see, we want to project this thing. Well, wow, he must be so important or she must be so important because they're just always busy. God, our shepherd, knows us so well. He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside still waters because he knows we're not going to go there on our own. And at that place, he restores our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. You getting this? The good shepherd sometimes has to do what's uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable for that sheep to have somebody up in their nostrils trying to dig out these insects. It's uncomfortable for that sheep to have this this tough, rough, hard comb go through that that wool. Why? Because there's all kinds of thorns and all kinds of dirt and poopy stuff and all that stuff that has to get cleaned out and, and it's uncomfortable. You feel like, what are you doing, God? I feel like you're tearing at me, God. What are you doing, God? But that's how he restores our soul. And thank God that he does. You see, when our emotions are raw, when we're at that place where we haven't had our soul restored for a while, your emotions get raw. You can't, you're an emotional person. We've been created emotional people. So what ends up happening is when you go too long without being restored, you become very, very, very sensitive to everything that's going on around you. Every time somebody says something that that could possibly be taken the wrong way, you're ready to go for their juggler vein. Or we go to the opposite extreme, and this one to me is more dangerous. We go to the opposite extreme of becoming numb. And now we, we get no emotional response or reaction. If something is really great and it's worthy of celebrating, we're like, eh, it's, it's good. Some tragedy comes, you're like, eh, well, what else should you expect? Those are dangerous areas. And if you're in either one of those extremes right now, please run to your shepherd and tell him, listen, knock me down, get up in my face if you have to, get the burrs out, get the thorns out, get the poopy stuff out, and restore my soul. Verse four goes on to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Life is full of danger. Just look what's gone on these past week or two. Life is full of danger. There's valleys. Valleys are, valleys are low places that scare us. We don't like low places. We like to be on the mountaintops all the time. Jesus said, in this life you're going to have tribulation. He said, but cheer up. I've overcome that. I said, great. You've overcome that, but I'm still here. And then you read something like Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. What is the psalmist saying here? I don't care what happens. I am determined because I know my shepherd. Therefore, I'm not going to fear. 
Pastor Beth, this past Wednesday, made a statement. When you're afraid, you're gonna think wrong, you're gonna talk wrong, you're gonna act wrong. You and I need to stay out of fear. Fear is a trap from the enemy to get us to make the wrong decisions at the most critical times of our life. Then he goes on to say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd, could you please? Shepherd carried two items. One was the rod, which is a club. And he usually had that on a little leather strap on the side. And that club is not for the sheep. That club is for the wolves, and that club is for the lions that are coming to devour the sheep. And our shepherd in heaven has given us the word of God to use as that club that when the enemy, when the wolves are coming, when the lions are coming, when they're trying to devour us and trying to devour those who belong to us and try to devour the things that belong to us, we can say, no, I resist you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's this other item that we're more familiar with and this cute little staff. Now this staff to us, spiritually speaking, represents the Holy Spirit's voice within us. Now this staff, what a shepherd would use it for, let's say a little sheepy, a little lamb starts to, you can wander off a little bit, don't go too far. Let's say the little sheep, little, the little lamb starts to wander, okay, wander. <laughs> and then the shepherd goes, uh, come back here buddy, become part of the flock, thank you. Thank God you don't have a big head. <laughs> and so it is, it is, it's for correction, it's to steer, Turn around, turn that way. So a little sheepy, little sheepy's going off and the shepherd wants, wants to go that way and the little sheep wants to go that way and this way the voice of the Holy Spirit comes and goes, no, 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 you're getting off track here. You're starting to entertain things that are not of me. You're starting to go in directions that are not my will. Am I right here? Stay, stay over here, sheepy. <laughs> okay. You all right? Yeah. <laughs> So we thank God that our shepherd has the ability to both defend us from the wolves, from those enemies that are coming to devour us. And the enemy always comes to devour in the mind first. And then, if he's not resisted at that point, we'll advance from that point. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. It's comforting, thank you. It's comfort, I don't know about you, but it's comforting for me to know that my shepherd both is very capable of defending me, but he's also extremely capable from the inside of directing me, of correcting me. If I'm drifting, if I'm going astray, if I'm wandering, he's very capable of getting me back on track by the voice of his spirit, amen? Finally, in verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of a battle, to know that my shepherd has not, he isn't waiting. Your, our good shepherd doesn't wait until the battle's over and then says, hey, come on, let's have a party. No, it says here that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, when the enemy is coming to devour, when the enemy is coming to destroy, to rob, to kill, God sets something up and empowers us and he literally does it in the middle of the battle to almost like, I could put it this way, to kind of paraphrase it or make it a little bit more understandable. He shoves it in the devil's face and says to him, no, this one is mine, this one belongs to me, I'm empowering him 
him to defeat you. I'm empowering him that you will not devour him. In fact, you are the one that's going to be devoured. And he does it in the middle of the battle so they could show the enemy who he is and who we are to him. He anoints my head with oil. He literally releases the power of the Holy Spirit in my life while the battle is still going on. And finally, thank God, in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we prepare our hearts today to take communion. You see, at the Last Supper, Jesus is wanting his disciples to know who he is. He's wanting to know his mission, his purpose, his assignment for coming to earth. And so he reveals himself as a great shepherd of their souls and our souls. And he reveals himself as a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep as he goes to the cross on our behalf. And he defeats the enemy with his own life. And so I hope today that you've gotten a little bit more of a glimpse into who this God is, our Father, our Shepherd, the great Shepherd of our souls. So when we take communion, we're taking it not as a ritual, but we're taking it as a method of giving honor to our great Shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good Shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep, and he certainly has. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.